What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 123. 123. Episode 123. And we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Smoke and Mirrors. You know... Only now is it really, 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 really clicking, like, all the way through. Wow. Anyway, okay, we're talking about Smoke and Mirrors today. And today, uh, as we have been since the very beginning, this thing is an independent podcast. And if you would like to support the show, you can do that. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. There's tiers and there's privileges, and Zach will tell us more in a bit. And one of the privileges that you can get if you join a Patreon is that you can have access to the Patreon-specific stuff, or not specific, Patreon-first audio content that we create We've got um, the other side of the gate with uh, Zach and David they talk about spoiler things that I'm not allowed to listen to and Zach and I have uh, Stargate Second Chances podcast where based off of your votes more information soon you can drive what show we watch again and then we talk about it again and we give it a new rating and uh, I'm excited because on Monday just a few few days from now Zach and I are going to delve into the height of television, the best television episode ever produced in every series of everything for all time. I'm talking about none other than Stargate SG-1's season two episode, Bane, the best television ever. I am so looking forward to watching this again. And when we record that, we'll be dropping it on Patreon first. But if you don't want to do the Patreon route, you don't have to worry about missing out on me just relishing in watching that episode one more time uh, because we will be dropping all of our content on the main feed. We just do it at a later time, usually to fill up a gap if we wanted to take a week off or something. So um, it will make the main the main feed for sure. But uh, if you want access to it earlier, you can uh, you can just join the the the, the Patreon thing. But the main feed. So if somebody walks up to you, you're walking, you're in the grocery store and you are currently checking out pitted olives and you're trying to figure out if you want to do like, what are they, like the queen pitted olives or whatever. You're looking at it going, I don't know, man, they're olives. Somebody walks up to you and says, hello, stranger, I have a problem. And you say, okay, how can I? I don't work here. And they're like, yeah, 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 that's fine. Um, I need more Stargate podcasts in my life. And you look at them and you go, are you Stargate? following me and they're like can you help me you can be like yeah yeah you can go to podcast aggregators and type in walking through the stargate and they're like okay walking they're they're writing this down walking through the star and they go is that spelled in any funny way and you can be like no it's spelled exactly as it should be and you can find them on apple podcasts and on google podcasts and on spotify podcasts and they're gonna look at you and they go okay great thanks thanks and they're gonna go away and you're never gonna see them again but then you did it you have now introduced our little project to them. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that. So, Zach. Yes, Brent. If somebody wants to uh, let us know that I have found a new way to take our intro and turn it into something completely silly by creating not only a hearkening story that I used to do about the random person on the street asking for more Stargate content, but now, like, bringing it up a notch with, like, detail in the stories, like, you know, who saw that pitted olive thing coming? How might they get a hold of us to let me know that my storytelling skills have improved vastly? Well, if you believe that Brent's storytelling skills have improved vastly, then you can let us know by emailing us at Walking Through the Stargate. That's W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. <laughs> nice. 
I had to slow that down just a smidge Uh there. (laughs) In any case, if you also want to know why are olives on Brent's mind, you Mm -hmm. can go to Twitter at Stargate Walking and ask that question, why are olives on your mind? And you may, Hmm. in fact, get an answer. (laughs) You might. (laughs) It could happen. If you want to talk to your friends who also listen to this podcast and ask them, why is Brent talking about olives on a Stargate podcast? You can do that on Facebook at Walking Through the Stargate, the Facebook page and the Facebook group and all of that things. And if you're curious if Brent has ever actually added olives to the website, well, you can go to space and look... And see whether or not that has happened. I'm not going to tell. You're going to have to go there and find out. If this podcast here is not enough Stargate content from walking through the Stargate folks for you, then you can go to patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate and subscribe and support and all of those fun things. And you will have instant access to all of the other Patreon first podcasts that come straight away out. One is coming up right away. As Brent said, this Monday, we're going to record the Stargate second second chances on Bane. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been talking with David and we have, uh, we have the show notes set up, ready oh, to go for another nice. other side of the gate. We just got to figure out when we can sit down yeah. and record because his schedule and my schedule are like mutually exclusive right now. Oh, yeah. Ouch. So we're working on that. Mostly mm-hmm. it's because my schedule has no flexibility in it. But mm. hey, there it is. In there any case, is. if you become a Patreon supporter, you can... Uh, influence what we watch and what we review in Stargate Second Chances by uh, sending your votes our way. Uh, here is our vote tally. If any of these mm-hmm. get to 10, we will rewatch it. The uh, The top ones are Children of the Gods, The Knox. Those are both at 7. They're coming up mm-hmm. there. Forever mm-hmm. in a Day has 6. Beneath the Surface has 5. Those are your top 4 right there. So if those are episodes that you think we need to review right away, get on board and send your prediction or send your uh, votes that way. Uh, or if you think those are silly ones, we don't need to talk about those. There's ones that are better. Well, then you can vote for those <laughs> too. Yep. Or instead of. Yes. Right. So, indeed. With all that, Brentley. Mhm. It is now time to dig into the background of Smoke and Mirrors. Yeah, which is going to be tough because, you know, how do you... I mean, I guess you could do, I guess you could do the background of Mirrors. Smoke, yeah. Getting behind Smoke, a little tough. That is kind of tough. Uh, and, and when you get behind the mirror, it, it, you don't see anything else. It's less effective. It's, it is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you just got to see this, this piece of painted glass. That's, that's about it. At best. Yes. At best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyway, anyway. So, <laughs> moving on. Yeah. This episode is directed by Peter DeLuise. We haven't heard uh-huh. his name for a while, but we hear it again today. This is his fifth of seven directing credits this season. He did Descent, Nightwalker, Shadowplay, and Allegiance. So, mm-hmm. last time we heard him was Allegiance a few weeks ago. The story, Brent. Are you ready for this? I saw the name on the title card. 
Yes, the story for this episode is by Catherine Powers. Catherine Powers! Girl, Catherine Powers. This oh. will be the last time we will see her name. Yeah. I, I, when I saw her name on there, I said to myself, right. I, you know, I had that memory. I think the last time that we had Catherine's name up on the thing, you mentioned there'll be one more time. And, that, and this is, I, so I was like, this must be it. This must be the one last time. Mm-hmm. So here, here it is. Here it is. So she did the story. The teleplay, however, was by Joseph Malazzi and Paul Mully. Mm-hmm. This is their fifth of seven writing credits this season. Uh, they have been working closely with uh, Peter DeLuise in terms of teleplay directing because they, di- they did the teleplay for Descent and for Nightwalkers and for Shadowplay and then Prometheus. That's where they diverged. Uh, yep. So uh, that's that. The guest actors for this episode. We start with Colin Cunningham, who plays Major Paul Davis. Mm-hmm. We, of course, have Ronnie Cox returning as Senator Robert Kinsey, mm-hmm. Terrell Rothery as Dr. Janet Frazier. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Peter Fleming returning as Agent Malcolm Barrett. Do you remember Ma- Malcolm Barrett? No. And, you know, he got played up to the point that, like, I was supposed to recognize his face when it, the reveal happened, but I, I, yeah. I didn't. So, so we actually were introduced to Barrett in the episode Wormhole Extreme. Oh, so way Was he back one of the then, guys going after um, what's his face? Uh, mm-hmm. Martin. So Martin, thank you. So when at one point in time, uh, I think it's Carter and Jackson are trying to uh, get some information on on Martin, and then they kind of get captured by the NID. Yes, and that's Malcolm right. Barrett is one of the the lead guys in that, and so gotcha. he returns in this. Uh, And this is not the last time we'll see Malcolm Barrett. We'll see him again in several more episodes as the series progresses. Okay. So, uh, we have Johnny Cuthbert, who plays Agent Devlin. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And and since uh, Johnny decided to write his own mini bio on IMDb, I felt it was only right for me to read it to you. Okay. Johnny Cuthbert was born in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. He began studying acting at a very early age at the Ottawa Little Theatre and appeared in his first film, The Perils of Priscilla, at age 12, playing the role of Handsome Harry. He moved to Montreal to study at the prestigious Concordia University Theatre Department. Upon graduation, Mr. Cuthbert formed a professional theatre company with playwright Vittorio Rossi, Mr. Cuthbert was artistic director of Montreal's renowned Back Alley Players Theatre Company. The theatre troupe won countless awards at theatre festivals in Quebec. It was around this time that Mr. Cuthbert began to work professionally in film and television, appearing in CBC television productions like All the Years, and in films such as Dead Man Out with Danny Glover. Mr. Cuthbert moved to Vancouver in the 1990s. He has appeared in over 60 films and television shows, including The X-Files, Supernatural, and Continuum. He has spent the last 25 years working on a variety of film and television productions in Vancouver, Toronto, and Los Angeles. Mr. Cuthbert lives in Vancouver, British Columbia with his wife, actress Karen DeSilva. There There you you go. go. All right. His first IMDb credit was, as he mentioned before, in 1984 with the short... All the years. 
I don't know anything about it. There you go. But there it is. Nope, neither do I. There it is. We have Peter Kalamis, who plays Dr. Langham. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Langham, like Mr. Cuthbert before him, did not, not Dr. Langham, Peter Kalamis, like Cuthbert before him, decided to write his own mini bio on IMDb, and I would be remiss if I don't <laughs> read it. <laughs> sure. Go for it. Here we go. Born in Sydney, Australia, he was raised in Vancouver, Canada. He is married to Alana Stewart. They have one daughter together. He is an accomplished actor, voice actor, and stand-up comedian. With over 160 credits, Peter is a well-recognized talent in the industry and has shared the screen with many Hollywood heavyweights. Some iconic voiceover work includes Dragon Ball Z, Goku, Ed, Ed, and Eddie, as well as Absolute Carnage for Marvel Motion Comics. Peter has two comedy albums downloadable on all the major music platforms, Best of Peter Kalamis, Volumes 1 and 2. And he has two recorded television comedy specials to his name. Hmm. Neat. There you go. Uh, One of the things that is uh, noteworthy about uh, Peter Kalamis is that we will see him again, one, in a few episodes of Stargate SG-1, not as Dr. Langham. We've seen the last of Dr. Langham. Uh, hmm. But in addition to that, he actually plays a significant role on Stargate Universe. Okay. Interesting. Um, so he, we'll see a lot more of him when we get there in like five years. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, his first IMDb role was in 1989 in the short Dragon Ball Z Dead Zone when he played the voice. He did the voice of Goku. Interesting. Yeah, I- I'm kind of wondering if because I, I have I-, I don't know if he is the voice of Goku that I know from all those years ago when DBZ was being aired on Toonami, um, 20 years ago. But anyway, I don't know. Um, I'll look I didn't that look that closely. Um, other actors in this episode that I want to just mention, we've got John Mann plays Luther. That's the arms dealer. We've got Yvonne Myers. Mm-hmm. She's the Area 51 technician. Mm-hmm. We've got L. Harvey Gold, who plays committee member number one. By one, mm-hmm. he was the mm-hmm. first guy to talk. So he was the guy, when you look at the table, um, on your left as you were looking at the screen, he was talking. Ah, gotcha. You've got Don McKay, committee member number two. He was the guy on the right who was talking. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Dale Wilson, committee number three, who was the guy in the middle, kind of mm-hmm. the ringleader of it. Yeah. Um, he was born in 1950. Uh, he is known for his work on Martin Mystery, Hellraiser, Hellseeker, and Stay Tuned. Um, all of that is fine and dandy. However, here's the thing. Dale Wilson voiced Major Gus Bonner in, wait for it, Stargate Infinity. Oh, oh dear. Oh, yes. So, undoubtedly, at some point in my future, I'm going to be hearing him again. Oh, almost certainly. Because, dear listeners, if you want us to review Stargate Infinity... You can do that by going to patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate and supporting the podcast. And when that number gets to a certain number, and that certain number is $75, mm-hmm. then we will review Stargate Infinity. Yep, that's true. His first IMDb credit came in 1971. He was in one episode. In fact, it was the last episode of a TV series called The Manipulators. Mm-hmm. The episode was called Ex Cali, and that's all I know. 
Okay. I don't know what the manipulators was about. I don't know what X Kelly was about. I don't know who his character was or anything. That's it. That's all I That's got. That's it. That's all you got. That's it. All right. So the original air date for Smoke and Mirrors in the UK was December 18, 2002. In the US, we had to wait till January 24, 2003 to watch this episode. Yep. Number one on the charts in the U.S. was still Lose Yourself by Eminem. Mm-hmm. And in the U.K., they were listening to Stop Living the Lie by David Snedden. <laughs> okay. Stop Living the Lie. Stop Living the Lie. Oh, that's probably... So what is Stop Living the Lie? What, what, what kind of music so is So I'm going to go with that. This is, uh, this is this is what's been playing in the background this entire time is like some like croon type, like, like you know, Hey Girl. Uh, you've been you've been living this lie by being with this other guy for this whole time, and you need to be with me now. So stop living the lie. Ah, uh, well, see, since she's living that lie, she's clearly fallen into darkness. Oh, darkness falls. Oh, that's number one in the box office. Uh huh. <laughs> and the guy singing the song is looking at her current boyfriend and thinking he definitely is Kangaroo Jack. Okay. Not good. <laughs> All of this is taking place in Chicago, which is number three, and there are some national security issues because this metaphor is going downhill really fast. Uh-huh. And all of this, uh, we just go to number five, which is Lord of the Rings Two Towers, and just talk about a good movie now. <laughs> it, it's, it amazes me how sometimes it all comes together, and then other times it doesn't really come together (laughs) (laughs) you know here's the thing is that the lord of the rings the two towers in the Mm -hmm. movie the two towers are clearly um isengard and um oh shoot mordor i can't blanking on that the tower's name and i'm sorry i've got people who are yelling at me right now my brother is undoubtedly one of them david is probably another i'm sorry he's just a baradur Barador. Uh, however, when you read the book, it is there's like three or four different towers that it that could be the two towers, and we don't know. It's unclear, and and this whole process is unclear, and and that was a long way to get to something dumb. Sorry. <laughs> oh. Okay. You so, know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be one of our podcasts if 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 there wasn't a valiant attempt made at trying to bring all of these separate thoughts together into one coherent flow and just it's like me with the predictions at the end like who knows what's going to happen man who knows you know I don't know what's going to happen until I start talking and then I realize halfway through that I don't know what's going on right now (laughs) and then I'm like how do I get myself out of this mess yes yes yeah it's like the worst of improv it's like I'm going to throw myself into the corner and surely I'll figure my way I don't know where I go (laughs) exactly (laughs) So, what was happening at this time? On January 22nd, we have the last successful contact with the NASA spacecraft Pioneer 10, which was Mm. one of the most distant man-made objects, at least at the time. Mm -hmm. And then on January 23rd, a day later, we receive our final communication with that same probe. Gotcha. I don't know anything about Pioneer 10, do you? Yeah, well, uh, yes, but not, uh, yeah, Pioneer 10, it was launched, I think, in the late 60s, and it was one of the, it was, the, the, I think, 
one of the first technically interstellar craft that were that we you know strict technicality it has an escape velocity that takes it out of the solar system but um uh, it was designed to explore i think jupiter um and um you know the outer reaches of space and so like this was this was back in the science the 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 the, the heyday of nasa where we literally didn't know just about anything about our solar system not really so uh-huh. every single satellite that we were sending out there it was just like we were just learning all sorts of just crazy you know lots of things were getting validated but there, we were just learning all sorts of stuff like sure like it was just it was it was great it was, it was wonderful i say that like i was there i wasn't there but like you know being a space nerd this was an exciting time and pioneer 10 was a major contributor to it and those things have a like a power plant on them that it uses i think like uranium i think and maybe plutonium but it doesn't matter it uses a radioactive isotope to generate enough heat to make um some kind of electrical thing happen and they wear out but they wear out after a long time cool 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 all right and then on january 24th the united states department of homeland security officially begins operation <laughs> yeah so <laughs> so here's the thing that that just kind of tickles me about homeland security um at the time they were trying to figure out what to name it and one of the names that at least made a list was something on something like the the department of national intelligence or the national intelligence department Mm -hmm. (laughs) now how do you shorten that but to the nid yeah Uh, yep. The fact that they went with Homeland Security, I thought, was a good thing. Homeland uh, it, Security. If you're going to create this new department and all of that stuff, that's wonderful. But uh, so I, I, that just tickled me at the time. So Yep. We're going to call right. it the NID. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So uh, some trivia for this episode. Mm-hmm. The newswoman at the very beginning of this episode who's reporting on the shooting and all that stuff, she is mm-hmm. actually a real news reporter in Vancouver, British Columbia. Oh, nice. So, uh, yeah, that's cool. And I think she does, she has done other shows, and she may have done other episodes of, the, of Stargate, I can't remember, but I know she's done that in other shows too, so there that you go. That must be a little bit weird for watchers of the show from Vancouver. You know, I would imagine that would be so. If you are a watcher from Vancouver and you saw this episode when it first aired, and you're like, hey, wait a second, I recognize that lady. She's on the nightly news. Let us know if yeah. that was weird. That'd be interesting. I'd just be interested. Yeah. Um, this episode highlights the mimetic imaging devices that were introduced in the season three episode Foothold. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can't figure out how it works, but there it is. Um, this episode was directed by Andy Makita and written by Heather Ash. Uh, I was curious because we haven't heard Catherine Powers' name for a really long time. I thought, mm-hmm. I wondered, was she part of it? And near as I can tell, she wasn't any part of that foothold episode. Oh, yeah, no, this, um, when, when I saw her name on the story card, but then I also saw that the teleplay was written by, uh, Malazzi and Molly, mm-hmm. I thought to myself, oh, I bet you that the that the kernel of the idea is a major political figure is assassinated by a hero of our television series, but it was actually an imposter using some kind of technology to, to, to mimic the, the other person. And then the story is the, you know, the, the resolution of that 
you know, of, of, of that, of that problem. And it was yeah. Malazzi and Mully who were like, Oh, well we can use this thing from season three and we can tie it in here. And we can use Kinsey as the politician. And you know what I mean? Like it was them who put it all together in the, in the universe of Stargate. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, that mode. I would agree with that. That makes sense. Uh, the assassin's rifle is a Remington model 700 modified to be taken down with a threaded barrel to allow a suppressor attachment. Okay. Despite what is said in the story, the rifle used was pretty much the kind of thing that one could pick up on in one's local sporting goods store, except for the suppressor and the takedown feature. That's a little specialized. Mm-hmm. Uh, skilled but readily available gunsmithing would uh, be able to take care of that uh, pretty easily. Uh, the suppressors could be fabricated with downloadable par- plans. Uh, this is a relatively rudimentary process for somebody who has some skills in doing this stuff and access to a machine, machine shop. Um, all of these are things which that would be well within the reach of an Air Force colonel. Okay. So, um, there you go. And I have a quote kind of talking about this same type of thing. This is actually from uh, Kathan Ambrose. She's the script coordinator uh, this was hmm. written in uh, an inter- or done in an interview with Stargate SG-1 Explorer Unit Newsletter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found this on GateWorld. So she says, We have a situation where we want to use a gun in an episode. So I have to go to the gun manufacturer and say, We're making reference to your gun. Can we get permission? But they came back to us and said, Will the Remington Model 700 be portrayed in a positive manner? And for the purpose that it's intended. Well, I can't really go back to them and say it's going to be used to assassinate somebody. Mm-hmm. So huh. we may have to scrap the name, but because everything is fictitious, we don't run into a lot of those types of problems. So, so, uh, so, so nowhere can we see the name Remington on this weapon. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And on another side note. Um, at the, you know, when you see the gun, you know, they have all of those really close-up shots of them putting yeah. the gun together and the bullet going into the chamber and sliding in and all of that. All those shots took a day to do. Really? Uh, apparently, huh. when you're filming something that close up, it's really, really hard to keep it in focus and all of that stuff, which makes sense. Um, and so then they're trying to figure out how and what all ways they needed to film this gun in various ways and poses and all of that stuff to make it work. So it took yeah. them like a day to do. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So in English, we call this episode Smoke and Mirrors. Yes. The French called it Smoke Screens. The Italians okay. also Smoke and Mirrors. Yeah. The Spanish also Smoke and Mirrors. The Czech following the French Smoke Screen. Mm-hmm. The Hungarians call this struggle for power or power struggle, mm-hmm. depending on mm-hmm. how you would want to translate that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Germans call yeah. it Kinsey's the, alive. The power cartel. The power cartel. <laughs> oh, it's still a little on the nose, right? The committee isn't revealed until the last third. Uh, yeah, and you don't even see them or really get a sense of exactly what or who they are until like the last six minutes. Yes, right. And here are the Germans, the power cartel. Hey, we're going to tell a story about power cartel. Want to hear it? Let's go. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Let's go. Oh, that's awesome. There you go. Okay. Are you ready for the synopsis? Yeah, let's get into it. Okay. 
Previously on Stargate SG-1, Senator Kinsey is being a bad boy. Don't blackmail Air Force generals. And don't get into bed with illegal and rogue agents of a government agency. Don't do it. He did it. O'Neill was thinking about shooting him. Okay, there you go. And uh, Mayborn helps his old adversary, i.e. O'Neill, get dirt on his new adversary, i.e. Senator Kinsey. And let's blackmail the blackmailers. Huzzah! (laughs) And now, Senator Kinsey leaves a building on his way to his limo. But something is not right. A man on the roof of a building is assembling a high-powered rifle. The bullet slides into the chamber. The sniper takes aim and fires. Kinsey is shot right in the chest. Oh, no! He collapses, and the entourage immediately surrounds the senator, preparing for more gunshots. The sniper disassembles his weapon calmly and collectedly and coolly and all that stuff, and he leaves the building calmly and collectedly and coolly. And and as he opens the door to depart, we see that the sniper is none other than Colonel Jack O'Neill. No! Back at the SGC, Jonas, Teal'c, and Sam are watching the surprising news that Kinsey was shot and killed. As they stand there stunned, O'Neill walks in from vacation wondering what is going on. They relay the news, but before the colonel can really process the information, General Hammond and a couple of guards walk in to arrest O'Neill for the murder of Senator Robert Kinsey. But I was on vacation! The rest of SGC are distressed by this news and simply cannot believe that O'Neill would have done this. They continue to argue their case with the general all the way to the briefing room, where they run into Major Paul Davis. Unfortunately, Davis's report is not a good one. They have video evidence of O'Neill leaving the building where the shot was made, and when they searched his cabin, they found the gun used in the assassination at the bottom of the lake. This does not look good for our hero. In light of all that has happened, Hammond suspends SG-1's off-world schedule so that they can focus on figuring out what is really going on. Jonas and Teal'c visit O'Neill in jail. Together they ponder how someone might impersonate the colonel. And this leads to a discussion of the mimetic devices used during the foothold situation several years earlier. Carter takes a trip to Area 51 to examine the devices and sure enough, All 12 of them have been replaced with non-functioning replicas. The plot thickens. Mm -hmm. Teal'c and Jonas begin a search for the culprit from Area 51 who might have stolen the mimic devices. Their search leads them to Dr. Langham. Langham recently, quote, died. But upon further examination, they discover his death was not, quote, faked. Fortunately, because of his medical condition, that is to say this doctor has epilepsy and there's only a certain number of medications that can be used to treat this, the two are able to find Mr. Dr. Langham. He was hiding using one of the mimic devices, but that doesn't stop our heroes from clocking him in the face and taking him into custody. Meanwhile, Major Carter goes to Washington to visit an old acquaintance, Agent Malcolm Barrett, from the NID. Barrett seems unwilling to discuss anything in the office, but slips a paper to the Major with a message. Stanton Park, 3 o'clock. At the park, Barrett reveals that his office is bugged, standard operating procedure for the NID, but he also tells her about a secret mission given to him and him alone by the President of the United States. 
There is a cancer in the NID. The rogue agents are all over the place. Barrett has been tasked with eliminating this element of the agency. And Kinsey was helping him and was subsequently killed because of it. Their investigation leads them to Luther, a man who makes a living selling illegal guns to people who want them. Luther reveals that he sold the weapon in question to O'Neill, but there is more. O'Neill handled another weapon as well, and so Carter buys it and checks it for prints, finding two sets of prints on the gun, one from uh, Leo or whatever his name was, the other guy, Luther's compatriot, and this unknown partial print. And so they run this partial print through the NID system, and they figure out that the one impersonating the colonel is none other than Agent Devlin of the NID. Boo! Bad Agent Devlin. Bad! They go to his house to confront him, but he decides to blow up his house instead. Really, really bad. But fortunately, Barrett and Carter are none the worse for wear. They get out of the house and they're not dead, so that's a good thing. Back at the SGC, Teal'c walks into the interrogation room with Dr. Langham. And with a stare only a Jaffa master could manifest, Langham spills the beans on pretty much everything. <laughs> the NID is actually controlled by the committee, a group of businessmen looking to exploit alien technology for their own per personal gain and profit. And with a promise of a one-way trip to another world so that the committee doesn't kill him, Langham is finally willing to share the names of the people he knows. The two threads of investigation come together with a phone call to Carter. Finally, it is time for Carter and Barrett to actually trust each other. Barrett reveals the existence of the mimic devices. Oh, sorry, Carter reveals the existence of the mimic devices. Barrett reveals that Kinsey is not actually dead, but in a coma. And shortly, Major Davis will be checking in on him just to make sure that the senator is okay. This is some bad news because Major Davis is actually one of those relatively few people that the mimic devices can mimic. Oh dear. Time for the end game. Devlin sneaks into the hospital as Major Davis to kill the senator. Unfortunately for him, SG-1 is onto him and stops his diabolical plan. Okay, it's not really a good plan, but I wanted to use the word diabolical, so it's a <laughs> diabolical plan. And here comes the ruse. Carter is able to add an image of Devlin to one of the mimic devices, and then, as Devlin reports to the committee about all that happened, although it didn't really happen, it was a lie, suffice it to say, the members of the committee do a tremendous job of incriminating themselves, and when Devlin is revealed as Carter, Baird and his team enter to arrest the whole group. The day is saved. Huzzah! Yay! Later, Kinsey recovers, and O'Neill is released from prison. The two meet in public to provide O'Neill with the vindication he needs in the public eye. O'Neill is not thrilled, but he understands the necessity of this. As for Kinsey, he loves this all. This helps tremendously in his bid for the White House. Leaning over to the colonel, the senator whispers, Smile, colonel. You just won me the election. The end. The end. So, Brent. Yeah. The smoke has cleared. The uh, mirrors have all been shattered, so they are no longer reflecting anything. And all that is left is the truth of this episode. And I ask you, Brent, what is that truth? 
Well, my goodness. Talk about pressure. Holy cow. Um, the truth of the episode is that um, I find myself interestingly just continually not that driven by the NID storyline. <laughs> like, it's not bad. Um, and the Kinsey storyline, it's, it's not bad. Um, but of all the things that I care about, like, you know, the, the political machinations here on earth are like, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. There's a, there's, there's an organization that has been the, like the, the shadowy thorn in the SGC side since the very beginning. And they have used all sorts of means, both, uh, legal and extra legal in order to continue to be a thorn in the SGC's side. Uh, and now I, and now they, and now they tell me that they have a shadow organization inside the NID being a thorn in the NID side. <laughs> it's just like, okay. I mean, yeah, I get it. If the NID, which is a version of the bad guys, a good bad guy, uh, yeah, it's complicated. If 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 they suddenly start uh, answering to a different group that uh, does not have the nation's interest in mind? Question mark. Did the NID ever have the nation's interest in mind? I don't know. Um, then that's bad news, bears. Boy, is it bad news? So we better do something about it, and we do something about it, and then there we go. Ah, uh, yeah, this this one. This one, this one falls for just flatly in the sort of the category of this one was fine. This one, this one was fine, but um, it it wasn't um, it wasn't a particularly shocking storyline. Um, and that's okay. The revelation that uh, Jack O'Neill did not commit to the murder was made what after the first third of the episode that's when we determined that the mimic devices were all counterfeit um yeah something like that and that that moment felt kind of a little fast um you know it was it was sudden like they go and they check the devices here they all are all accounted for and the very next thing that i see are you know it's it's samantha carter in the briefing room going yeah they're all counterfeit um and that's okay. Uh, you know, keep that story moving. I get it. it, it it's okay. The, the the point of the story was to, you know, the back two thirds of the story was how to deal with uh, a threat who has the ability to impersonate our heroes. Um, and, you know, what that threat is representing and how it is engaging with an existing organization, the NID, and how that is uh, uh, impacting the SGC. And then also this other story about how how this effort is trying to uncover and remove this uh, influence from, as we later learned, the committee. Everything about it was pretty plausible as far as sci-fi goes. Um, you know, like there, there, there was nothing about the story that was a particularly galling leap. Uh, one, one idea flowed to the next. Uh, that Kinsey was in a coma for as long as he was, I think might have been the most unusual part of this particular story. Um, that it was revealed that he wasn't dead was just me being, you know, I, I was like, you know, yeah, sure. Fine. All right. He didn't die. Okay. There you go. Um, 
whether or not the character of Kinsey lives or dies seems to matter, but it doesn't seem I, I'm not I, I'm not driven by that piece of information. Like, <laughs> like, OK, great. He's he's here. Oh, he's not. Oh, wow. OK. Oh, he's back. OK. OK. Uh, I, I get what they're trying to set up um, that, you know, there there is this political aspect to Stargate SG-1 that they want to continue to keep going and that Kinsey is a major driver of that story. Um, I respect that uh, we might be seeing sort of the groundwork that creates a President Kinsey that we saw in the episode 2010. Um, This is all fine, uh, but I am far less motivated by that type of a storyline than I am about, uh, you know... (laughs) A storyline of a bunch of like, you know, augmented children being used to like, you know, to 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 figure out problems and then like, you know, like get burnt out or something. You know, what I mean, like we 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 went we had a we had a major conversation about that one. Um and 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 this one I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. All right. Mystery and espionage and intrigue and murder and yeah. All right. So um so yeah, and and part of me is you know a little bit worried that I'm giving it short shrift. Uh, you know, every time that I kind of come across one of these episodes where I'm like, eh, it's fine, and I don't have the ability to clearly articulate what it is that I'm just kind of meh about, then I'm then I'm pivoting into like, well, you know, it's kind of a kind of a kind of a dull gray day today. Is that is that why I'm feeling kind of like <laughs> about it? I mean, I'm not sure. Um, you know, it, it just didn't, it, it didn't captivate me and, and it didn't um, drive me into uh, ponderings about what's going to happen next. Uh, it didn't, uh, it didn't get me thinking about it after the episode ended, the episode ended and I turned, I turned off the television and that was it. That, 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 that moment had gone. Um, it didn't stick with me. Uh, and so in that regard, I, you know, don't call it a good story. I call it a kind of a middling story and the acting was great. Um, but now I, that's what I come to expect. Like the characters, the actors have their characters on lock and they've had it on lock for quite a while. And, um, you know, that is now sort of becoming just standard fare. I was vaguely interested if there was something other than a Jaffa stare happening when the Jaffa stare was happening. Um, you know, uh, Dr. Brent Langford, terrible, terrible. Um, you know, most, most Brents are like evil. That's the thing you got to deal with when you're named Brent. Um, uh, he, 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 he tumbled, he, he folded like a house of cards. (laughs) Uh, You can't get me to talk. Well, uh, probably not. Well, uh, okay, okay, okay. I'll tell you whatever you want to know. Just, just. I'll tell you everything. So, uh, you know, there was a piece of me that was wondering, oh, is there some like, is there some like, you know, like, I don't know, some something else going on here that gets this guy to talk? No, probably not. Just, just to stare down. Uh, That was charming. Uh, Get it, charming. Uh, And Uh. so, uh, you know, that was all right. Uh, But. You know, the, 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 the feeble attempts at humor elsewhere in the episode weren't all that good. And so as a, yeah, I just, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think I could probably not see this episode ever again and be fine with it. Um, I'm not sure if I can think of anything that was really captivating about this one. It is interesting to me how uh, the external on earth bad guy driver, like we keep 
throwing some ideas against the wall, hoping some of this stuff will stick. We, we tried it with Russians for a little bit. We tried to get that to stick. And here in 2003, we're, that's just not sticking. Uh, now we've shifted to, you know, and we were trying to get uh, a secret government agency to stick. And I don't know. There's been captivating characters within the concept of the NID. Mayborn is great. Simmons was great. Uh, but those are individuals within the organization. It's not really the organization itself. So that's, that's still not sticking even. They keep trying. And now we've got the committee, which I'm actually slightly hopeful that this is not the last time I see the committee. There's no reason on earth why... Uh, the individuals that compose the committee should be the singular driving force for a <laughs> bunch of corporations that want to make a buck off of military technology. They like I I would suspect that the committee comes back uh, with different faces, but you know who knows. Um, but it's interesting how we're now trying that one. Like we're gonna try we're gonna try uh, uh, you know megalithic uh, uh, corporations. Stick that against the wall. See if that see if that sticks. Um, so that's intriguing to me, but that's that's that is very ancillary. That's not core to the story. So uh, that's a long-winded way of saying how do I think about this one? I don't know. It's probably about as much meat and potatoes as I'd get if I had smoke and mirrors for real. Like it would be very disappointing. <laughs> I'd be trying to reach for them and they would not be there. And so I feel kind of similarly. Like the story was okay, but it wasn't really substantive. And so it is what it is. So what about you? What do you think about this one? Um. So. You know, overall, I like this one. Is it mm-hmm. a tremendous episode? No, but it's a good one. Um, I think uh, one of the things that might help you uh, yeah. is um, while it is true that certainly in other sci-fi series and even perhaps even at the beginning of this sci-fi series, uh, they were doing things to try to turn Kinsey or the NID or the Russians, perhaps, into a megalithic bad guy on Earth. Yeah. Um, I think what we're seeing here in this episode, uh, and I think we've seen this for a while, is a transition not to create megalithic bad guys on Earth or monolithic bad guys on Earth, but to create places of antagonism. Hmm. So mm-hmm. rather than creating, like here we have in the NID, right? The NID up until this point has just been this bad guy organization. Yes. And now what we're seeing is that there is something legitimate with the NID. We see that in Barrett, at least in theory, right? Um, but then there are also other elements within the NID that are a problem. And so now rather than creating one just uh, two-faced bad guy. We, what I think they're trying to do is is to create a a pool, an environment where there are elements that are antagonistic, uh, that may or may not be evil, depending on the situation. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Russians. We've already seen this. The Russians are definitely not our friends. Right. But they're not the bad guys. Right. Uh, they are definitely people who can be our allies and can also be an antagonist and cause friction. Even when they're our allies, they could be causing friction. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing that here in the United States political sphere, 
Uh, can the NID be our allies? Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. not. We don't know. Can Barrett be our ally? Well, I think that Carter can begin to trust him. Um, so we're getting uh, additional depth and and not uh, broad strokes of of good and bad and evil and and the protagonist, you know. But we're just getting uh, a mix of things that gives us things to play with. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we have to ask ourselves the big question with this episode here at the end is, oh, my goodness, is Kenzie going to become president? And if he becomes president, um, what does that mean for the SGC? That's a big deal. You know, I hadn't quite put that together. Um, I had always viewed the big red telephone as a MacGuffin. I always kind of rolled my eyes whenever Hammond picks up the phone and talks directly to the president. Um, It always seemed kind of a ham-fisted way to resolve the issue of the story. And I just didn't care. It was just like, yeah, 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 whatever. You called the president and you got it to work. Hooray. And, And in my head, every time that he picks up the phone and calls the president, it was just a way to get the story to justify how the singular person of George Hammond can make a decision that then is done in the story. And that the full weight of the United States military follows it. And, you know, whenever it whenever his command seems to stretch outside the bounds of the SGC, the big red telephone is there to give the story the ability to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Hammond's idea became the idea of the United States in the personage of the president of the United States. Therefore, the story can keep moving on. And then you you have nitpickers like me being like, yeah, okay, fine. So the president approved it. And there you go. We're moving along. I didn't really quite get that if Kinsey becomes the president of the United States, uh, that that theoretically now, okay, I'll, I'll finish the thought because a half thought is like creeping in because I'm now doubting myself a little bit. But um, certainly on paper and certainly early Kinsey would shut that thing right down. Just right down. Shut it right down. Um, you know, it's not producing any uh, valuable uh, elements to protect the United States. It's costing a lot of money. It seems to be endangering a lot of, of innocent people all the time. Uh, it's just stupid. Uh, quit doing it. Um, but the half thought that creeped in was like, I, I seem to have this, this notion that Kinsey's position on the value of the SGC has changed over the years. That is a true and maybe, statement. Okay. But maybe I'm accidentally conflating the 2010 president Kinsey with the fireside chat with the real Senator Kinsey in our timeline. Like, I, I don't know if I'm getting these guys mixed up inside my head or not. So mm. you said that was definitely a true statement. So, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll volley the ball back your way. So, am, am I losing track of things or is he actually thinking the SGC is a bit more valuable? Punt. So at, at some point in time, and I don't remember specifically where it comes in. Certainly when we first meet Kinsey at the very begin, very end of season one. Yeah. He thinks the whole thing is just awful and we should shut it down yes. and call it good and then we'll be done. Uh, something happens between then and one of the next few times that we see Kinsey. Um, and even there is a throwaway comment at some point in time by somebody, I don't recall who specifically, as you're talking about Kinsey, uh, 
And Kinsey's position on the SGC has changed. It's not about shutting it down. It's about now, how can he use it for his own gain? How can he use it to, for his perspective, save the United States? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just a waste of money now. It's a means of power and control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so certainly that play. So by the time we see him in this episode, right, uh, he is not interested in shutting down the SGC. Uh, it is arguable at the very least whether or not he's interested in shutting down SG1 and the current regime of the SGC. Right. Mm-hmm. But the idea of continuing the SGC and going to other planets and doing all of that stuff and bringing in new technology and all of that stuff. Uh, that is definitely something that is, at least now, in his positive agenda. Mm-hmm. He doesn't think that um, Hammond and SG-1 are leading it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, there you have it. So, uh, this is even something that changed. I think that starts to come out in those episodes with... Uh, when they, they start blackmailing Hammond, and we see this in the previously for this episode here, right? Where they're blackmailing Hammond and, and O'Neill gets, uh, you know, partners up with Mayborn and they go yeah. to... to um, the dinner party or whatever. The dinner party and all that stuff. So all of that process... Mayborn uses the disc in the freezer to, to hack the mainframe. Yeah, naturally. Yeah. Um, but that whole set, by that point in time... Um, Kinsey is now trying to do what he can to um, exert power over the SGC in one way or another um, for his own gains and not the gains of what's actually best for the world. And so while that last line was clearly intended to be ominous, like, obviously, um, and I heard it, I'm like, okay, he's going to be president. Whoop-dee-doo. Uh, that actually should be carrying a bit more weight. He will have much more direct authority over the the doings and the happenings of SG-1. Yeah, well, I mean, because keep in mind that um, the a senator, even a senator who's in charge of the Appropriations Committee, right. certainly has some pull and can, you know, become a headache. But... The president is ultimately the guy. He's the commander-in-chief. He's the one that ultimately says, uh, General Hammond, yes, you can stay there and continue to command that base. Um, And it is conceivable, and I think probably fairly realistic in some ways, uh, should should Kenzie become president, he is going to... uh, at the very least, have the power to do a lot of stuff to throw things into yeah. chaos for our heroes. Yep. Gotcha. So and that's Jack O'Neill he- just helped Kinsey become president. Yep. And so then, so this episode aired in 2003. Yes. Gotcha. And so, so right. So the, right. I always do this with television shows too, right? I mean, every now and again, they'll give me an anchor for a, a year and i think we have had year anchors in stargate previously but it's been a while 
um, and not year anchors in time travel episodes. Um, but, you know, I mean, obviously right. I'm supposed to think that this is contemporary to 2003. And, uh, but like, you know, you know, now I'm thinking to myself, should I be actually thinking like in the storyline, the election is right around the corner, even though in real life, there wasn't going to be another presidential election for another year and a bit. Um, Well, this is what we know, right? We know that a president can be in office for eight years. Yeah. Um, We know based on everything we have seen in the story, we can safely assume that the president of the United States, as of the episode Smoke and Mirrors, has been in uh, in office into his second term. Yeah. Right? Uh, the epi- This is um, season six. So that means this president, who has been the president since the very beginning, has been president for at least six years. Mm-hmm. So we can safely assume that within... The next year and a half in storyline, there's going to have to be some kind of election. And we've even right. seen these types of things. Uh, we saw the beginnings of this in that episode with Mayborn when they interrupt Kinsey's uh, dinner party, right? Because how do, how do they escape that? Uh, oh, yeah. It was O'Neill calls up yeah. the, the news and yeah. says, hey, Senator Kinsey is announcing his bid to run for president. Mm hmm. Um, right. And that was a couple of years ago, which right. actually tracks, right? That's when you would do something like this yeah. for this process. Um, and so it's moving through that process. So we can safely assume that sometime between now and the end of season seven, we are going to see something that involves a presidential shift. What and it might involve be, none other than Kinsey himself. Well, thus, we, we can assume thus that. But setting we up, thus setting up the, the events of 2010 in a different way. Ooh. Maybe the Ashen come back and <gasps> somehow are welcomed as heroes this time as opposed to villains. <gasps> oh, my think? goodness. The inevitability of the story that no matter what you do, you always end up in the same spot. Ah, uh, well... Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah. A okay. um, couple of things about this episode that I liked. Um, mm-hmm. I liked that they brought back the mimic devices. Um, okay. You know, that episode Foothold a few seasons ago was just kind of a throwaway seer episode, right? It just kind of mm-hmm. it happened. Um, even, and even in this episode, we hear, uh, well, that was such a big deal that we struck it from the official record, so we're trying to yeah. bury it, pretend it doesn't exist. And, and here we are, that technology uh, has come back uh, and plays a role in a new story. Um, yep. And this is, we've seen this before in other things with Stargate, and we'll see it again in the future, that technology and little bits of things that played a role sometimes a major sometimes a minor role in a previous episode they come back being used in a different and new way and i like those stories i like that callback and that continuation that makes me feel that this is actually a universe that is coherent within itself and that it's following itself and so what happened Mm -hmm. in yesterday's episode is something that will come back uh, or at least can come back and affect what's happening now. I yeah. like that. Um, 
It's worth noting that one of the reasons that O'Neill is has a relatively small role in this uh, was because of RDA's schedule. Mm. RDA mm-hmm. has a busy schedule, and he needs to take extra time off. Uh, he's got a young daughter at this point in time. Uh, we saw this earlier in the season when he was gone uh, for the episode Nightwalkers, right? Because he was uh, O'Neill was sick from uh, uh, the episode in the Antarctic, and I'm blanking on the name of that now. Oh, right, right, right. Um, yeah, I can't know, think of that one. Yes, I know so, what you're talking about. And then, then he comes back with Abyss. Um, so all of that, you know, that was uh, Richard Dean Anderson saying, I need to take some time off. Yeah. Uh, and so this is actually one of those things that, that uh, uh, he was taking some extra time off, and so they were trying to find a way, well, put him in jail. He's in jail for yeah. a while, and now... We can have the story. We can even talk about O'Neill, and he's part of things, but he's not on stage. Yep. And we can shoot the shots of him with the gun and the thing, and we don't need any other actors. So yeah. There's yep. only two scenes that we need to shoot. Uh, I think there was only two, right? When he comes back from vacation, and then uh, when he's getting uh, asked some questions in the holding cell, and that's it. Well, so there's three times. So you've got the two that you mentioned there. Uh, they come and talk to him twice in the holding cell. Oh, uh, which are separate scenes, technically. Um, technically, and then he comes back at the very end uh, to be with Kinsey. Oh, that's right. But Obviously. all of that is something that would easily have been able to be shot within a day or two days. Yep. And then he can be gone for the rest of that process, and all is right and happy with the world. Absolutely. So, um, uh, I, I did have a critique of this episode mm-hmm. uh, of, within the storyline. Um. Devlin, um, you know, the idea of pretending to be Davis and sneaking into the hospital to take out uh, Kinsey, that makes sense. Yes. That fits. Why does he wait until he's in the elevator of the hospital to change his form? Oh, yeah. Okay. The best thing to do that would be in your car, way out in the nowhere-ness of the parking lot. Frankly, you should drive up like that, right? And be in that character from the very beginning. Um, I can I can justify not having Davis walk into the hospital on screen as a storytelling element to make sure that the viewer is fully aware that this is not Davis uh, who is doing this. This is Devlin. But uh, I thought that they were going to do a relatively cheap, though effective, um, practical effect with the shape change which was the doors close on devlin and they open on davis mm. as in they don't even bother to do any special effect at all with the transformation they just you know close the door you, you, you watch the doors close with the uh, with devlin with a particular look on his face in a particular location with the lighting in a particular way and then ding the doors open and it's now um uh cunningham cunningham um yeah. standing there in the exact same position with the same lighting, with the same look on his face, giving you the full impression that he has now done the transformation. I thought, you know, I thought they were going to set it up to do a cheap practical effect and they didn't, they just did the the special effect in the elevator anyway. So, so I'm not sure. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and, and I will say that, that the, uh, the special effects were done really well, quite well. Of course. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, you know, that was something that, that uh, I'm like, well, Devlin, if this is as smart as you are, you deserve to be <laughs> caught. 
<laughs> I mean, he did decide to use um, a bunch of gasoline canisters as um, as high explosive, which wouldn't have actually. It's okay. He's not the brightest bulb in the tree. Well, I mean, it depends on on how things are set up there. Because if if it's if the uh, gas canisters themselves are sealed, and so the vapors are still there, then it would still work. I, there's a really good Tom Scott video regarding high explosives and the and how television and film special effects are created, and the you know the 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 most impressive part of the fireball is the vaporized, very important, the vaporized and dispersed, um, like dirty diesel fuel that they use to get that big old fireball. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the concussive force is concerned, the thing that destroys stuff, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't, it, that's you, true. You use it, 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 the gasoline does make a, a nice bang, but doesn't do a whole lot more than that. If you do it right, it's pretty. It makes oh. it very, very pretty, pretty fireball. Whoosh. And that, that's why they use that for, for movies that's right. and TV. Because it's so, pretty. and you know, and I'm being particular, but like, you know, like whatever, it, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, and I'm frankly, not going to try to. C4, for instance, just blows stuff up. It doesn't actually create a fireball. No, not at all. But Uh, it's very effective. It's very effective at blowing stuff up, but not Uh very good at creating a fireball. So let's just add a little bit of propane or gasoline or whatnot. Yeah, that's right, you know. Give it some effect. Just a little little oomph. A little little zhuzh. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right. So, Brent. Yeah. uh, I'm sure there's probably more we could chew on for this episode, but... The time has come I mean, I when I say, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad um, I'm thank you for taking me down that path of like, you know, slightly more articulated political consequences. Um, uh, that did help. Uh, but even still, I'm just kind of meh. So, okay. There you go. So how does that translate to chevrons? Hmm. How does that translate to chevrons? So um, I got to the end of this one, and like I said, it was fine. But then I immediately just kind of—I didn't like forget about it, strictly speaking. But I was—I immediately was thinking about something else and taking care of other business. Um, and I don't seem to be particularly driven by these um, Earth-based political intrigue stories. I am all into alien world political intrigue. <laughs> <laughs> I I I nailed an episode to the wall for not taking care of the alien political <laughs> intrigue. But but you throw me back on earth and I'm like, "Uh, I don't know." Ugh. Uh maybe it's because maybe it's because real life is 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 plenty blech enough. Um I'm going to I'm going to give this one a 3 out of 7. Um I doubt I will want to watch this one again. Um and so as a result, then I just got to go on the episode itself, just just it alone. And it alone was not that great for me. I just didn't like it that much. Um, it wasn't bad. It just, ugh. and no, no big reason. And again, thanks for having the conversation about the political ramifications. There very well may be others that enjoy it much more. And it might, I might think back fondly on this episode based off, you know, with other information coming later, maybe, but like at the moment, it's like, all right, fine. Um, so yeah, so I know it's a little bit harsh, but you know, three out of seven for me. Sure. How about you? Um, so I'm going to give it a five out of seven. Okay. Um, I think, and I 
probably a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, this continues the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this story by itself, you know, just just this forty two minutes of of story is it's fine. It, it it's there, uh, but. But I love the meta narrative, right? I, I've talked about mm-hmm. that a lot. I like that meta narrative. Uh, this adds to the meta narrative of Kinsey and his antagonism towards the SGC. Mm-hmm. This uh, paints a new color in the realm of the NID. We now have this committee, and as you mentioned, there is nothing to suggest that just getting rid of these five guys, uh, the committee is somehow now neutralized or something. Right. And suffice it to say, I will spoil this, we will see this civilian element of the NID poking their heads into things in the future. Fine. That's not a, that's not a surprising spoiler. No. Th- I, th- that's why I, I could do that. Yes. Um, you know, so, but this kind of introduces that or kind of uh, fleshes that out a little bit more. Um, and, and so I know, so this is the kernel and I know where it's going. Uh, mm-hmm. And I can't help but know that. Uh, and so when you get that, you got good acting, you, you know, um, I, I appreciated that, that Teal just sits there and goes, and all of a sudden the guy caves, <laughs> right? Um, that, yeah. uh, it, 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 it just, it, is it revolutionary? No, it's happened all the time in all sorts of different television shows. The guy who comes in, he's just like staring and yeah, then it works. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. But, but, uh, Christopher Judge does that quite well. He and it works does for do me. That quite well. Yes. Um, you know, so all of these little pieces, uh, I think that I'm going to give it a five out of seven. That one scene, uh, you know, again, though, like one thing that we didn't really talk about much was the directing, and we didn't really talk about much how it was shot, and both were quite well. I mean, it, it was it was quite that that one scene where Teal'c does the stare down thing. That thing was really well shot and well lit. Mm-hmm. Um, that thing that it was it was it was precise and it worked wonderfully um but you know my fawning over the lighting does not a good episode make fair enough <laughs> all right are you Ooh. ready let me yeah but let me go to the twits to twits twitter 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 i got a notification what happened here oh no nobody 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 gave a nobody gave a prediction on twitter which oh. is good I like that. We got some likes, but nobody gave a prediction. Fair enough. Fine. Well, we have some on Facebook. Okay. And dear listeners, those of you who use that fancy thing called Twitter, send your predictions that way so that Brent has something to do. I don't care. <laughs> I know. I do it because I have to. If I, I didn't I, have to use social media, I wouldn't. I, I, Brent, I care only because you don't. And and I have kind of this sick, twisted sense of humor. (laughs) Fine. Fine. All right. So uh, we will begin with the predictions on Facebook with Rowan. Hi, Rowan. Rowan says this. This episode has it all. Murder mystery, political intrigue, Sam Carter in dress blues, Teal'c in a hat. Sam has some great tension with upstanding citizen agent Barrett, while Jonas and Teal'c pair up for a buddy cop outing, and O'Neill gets the week off in a secure facility. (laughs) This is a fun... He gets the week off. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, I know you literally just said that with RDA schedule, but I'm just, it, it's good. Well, well, well stated. All right. Uh, they go on. This is a fun, engaging episode and is a major turning point in the long-running NID plot arc. I'm oh. going to go out on a limb and say seven from Brent. Oh, wow. And six from Zach for a highly enjoyable episode. This episode has been rated 8.0 by viewers on IMDb, which is a five on my IMDb huh. Chevron rating conversion scale, putting it in the top half of Stargate episodes overall. Wow. <laughs> Did I miss something? Did I watch the right episode, Zach? <laughs> Um, okay. So, so well, you have well. said that, that you have never been a huge... If the story of the NID is not a story that draws you, this is not going to be a story that draws you. Gotcha. If okay. you enjoy yeah. uh-huh. the NID storyline that has happened, this is an episode yes. that fits that well, continues it, develops it, uh, matures it, and all of that stuff. I see. I see. I got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so then what really is happening here is that the NID story for me isn't really my cup of tea. Just isn't. Hasn't been. And as a result, it's not really impacting me the same way that somebody else who is liking the NID story might be driven and impacted by this. I see. Indeed. That makes sense. Yep. It's very reasonable. All right. Uh, Next, we have Cassidy. Hi, Cassidy. I really love this episode. It is intriguing. Okay. And has an interesting ending. I am going to say a six for both of you. Wow. Well, there you I go. Did miss something, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> I think this might be the first time Cassidy has written in. I, I don't remember that name either, so hello, Cassidy. So hello, Thank Cassidy. Welcome. All right. We have Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Kevin says, hi, Zach. Hi, Brent. Hey, Leo. Leo's that one guy from Luther's. <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I like this episode a lot. It's got politics, murder, callbacks to previous episodes, and Tilk clotheslining a dude. Plus, well, yeah. we see that actor again in, <clears throat> well, yeah. So, so Something else? Okay. I think we already talked about that. If, if you're talking about uh, Dr. Langham, we've already talked about that he's in other episodes in the gotcha. universe. Although it's a fun episode, I don't see any deep conversation coming from this one. So I'm going to say a five from Zach. And a five from Brent. Wow. Well, okay. Kevin, you got my score, and Brent doesn't like the NID because he's a fuddy-duddy. There's aliens out there, man. There's, there's spaceships. We got Zach. You want me to be all excited about, like, like a bad version of Men in Black? Come on. <laughs> so, I do want to point out, this is an aside... Um, as uh, Peter DeLuise was talking in the commentary, um, Joseph Malazzi and Paul Mully tend to write stories that happen on Earth. And this mm. has become kind of a joke uh, amongst the people. And they're like, so, you know, Joe and Paul, the Stargate does take you to other planets. <laughs> <laughs> and Joe and Paul are like, yeah, 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 that that's that's. That's child's play. That's been done. But what about having the Stargate and choosing not to use it? Eh? Right. Eh? Eh? All right. Um, now, the next person to write in is Dan. But before we get to Dan's stuff, okay. uh, I need to write what uh, we need to read to you because you didn't read this, uh, how I introduced this on Facebook. 
O'Neill oh. did something bad, or did he? No, no, he didn't. Somebody was impersonating him. Zach and Brent will do a podcast about this episode. Or will they? Oh. Perhaps it <laughs> will only be two people impersonating the Midwesterners. <laughs> really, you, you gotta help them out. Predict their ratings and share your thoughts on this episode. So, uh, or they won't know what to do with themselves. So, yeah. there you go. Yes. Nice. Okay. That, that, okay. That, good. Okay. Right. I take it that Dan then takes that idea and runs with so it. So, Dan says, Hi, Zach. Hey, Brent. If those are your real names, <laughs> it's all clear Hi, to me now. Yeah. Imposters! <gasps> Shoot. They're on to me. We are imposters. I'm actually, I'm actually a, I'm actually a, a, an epileptic physician. No, an epileptic researcher from, from Cheyenne Mountain, Colorado. Oh no! No no oh, no, no. no 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 Nevada no, Nevada Nevada Area 51 Area 51 Nevada. Oh no! Well, you could be somebody else. You could be an NID agent pretending I to be Brent. Be absolutely getting secret information about this Stargate program as told through a television story as told as as lampooned by a fake television story this is all disinformation the whole reason that the Stargate series exists is because the Stargate is real folks it's it's just disinformation all the way down plausible deniability and then when they made wormhole extreme which is an episode about an episode and plausible deniability all of it it's just this giant rabbit hole that's right they make you think that they know that you know that they know so that you doubt if you actually know what they know exactly. and then you don't know anymore and we are definitely not a part of that conspiracy because <laughs> Absolutely we are not. definitely not imposters we're just a couple of guys in the Midwest making a t- making a podcast, a television show. That's, That's all we got going on. All right. So Dan continues. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Seriously, though, it's a good one. The intrigue, the mystery, the misdirection—that slimy feeling at the end, knowing Jack had to shake Kinsey's hand after everything—makes my skin crawl. But other than that, who doesn't love a good murder mystery? Lessons to be learned. Number one, never, ever doubt the Jaffa interrogation techniques. Spilled his guts without ever saying a word. Too easy. Number two, duplicating the duplicators. I guess it's okay they weren't replicated. That would have been complicated. Oh, dear. That's true. But but if if it's a copy of a copy, does it have as much fidelity, right? Well, uh, apparently in this episode, no. It lasts six minutes and that's it. Well... I'm also thinking of the movie Multiplicity, which I have not seen in uh, quite a while. Well, but. that's true. There you go. Number three, says Dan. Fishing is a great cover story to be alone. Who would go do that to themselves? Right? Nobody's sensible. I know. Number four. Seriously. Jack shaking Kenzie's hand just sends a chill up my spine. Ew. Really? I'm, I'm not a, I am not a Kenzie fan at all, but like he... In my head, he had parked himself into irrelevant, which is curious why that happened. I'm curious why that happened inside my own head. But anyway, carry on. So in by the, uh, this episode here, where we are right now, Kinsey is most definitely not an irrelevant character. Well, I mean, that's becoming clear to me. All right. So Dan continues. I Like I said earlier, this is a good one. I'd give this one five and a half. I'd guess Brent will give it a six and wow. Zach a five and a half as well. I, I, oh, I, sorry to disappoint. All right. I stand by my three. Well, you can stand on it all you want. 
just I got the feeling that I'm in the wrong spot. But anyway. <laughs> All right. Tim says. Hi, Tim. I noticed the story credit to Catherine Powers. Yes. Even with that, I liked the episode. I will give it a six. Okay. I think both of you will like it. A five from Brent and a six from Zach. Zach can All see right. and know what this will set up, and which will bump his rating. Uh-huh. There you Interesting. go. Interesting. Okay. And Sean says. Hi, Sean. Great episode. Mystery and humor. Teal's punch from behind the van and his eyebrow raising to Hammond. Teal is great in this episode. He doesn't need, even need to talk, and he's great. I predict sixes all around. Wow. Did I say this episode was great? I, I, I guess I am. I, I, I do I have to watch this one again? I don't want to. Well. Dear listeners, if you think Brent needs to watch this episode again, you know what you need to do. All right. We have a couple more emails. Okay. The first one from Aunt Susie. Hi, Aunt Susie. She says, I like this one. They concentrate on the Earth's homegrown villains, Senator Kinsey, the NID, and the newly minted committee. I love yeah. that they bring back the mimic devices from that leaky as a sieve Area 51 research facility. No kidding. Teal'c's incredible interrogation skills are put to good use once again. Clandestine meeting in the park. A house blows up. All good spy stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going with cliche, but that's all right. No, no, no. This is good spy stuff. You're wrong. Cliche. Cliche. Anyway, she continues. Cliche. Great to have Major Davis and Agent Barrett together in the same episode. I don't know why, but I keep confusing these two characters' backstories, but maybe this will help me keep them straight. Huh. <clears throat> we also get to meet Peter Kalemis, who may or may not be back. Um, oh, is that the guy, the guy that we already talked about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thanks. Thank, thank, thank you, Susie, for trying to preserve my innocent uh, spoiler-free mind. So there is a minor spoiler here that uh, I won't read aloud, but... Uh, okay. Um, that's interesting. Um, I'll just hold on to that. So, uh... There you go. Susie says, I give it a six because I enjoyed it, and it's a relief oh, that they're wow. back on track after last week's episode. Brent and Zach will both give it a six for pretty much the same reasons. Wow. I, I, I'm, I'm Captain Rogue today. I, I am an agent of chaos. You are. As we I've have. said before. We have one more prediction from our good friend, David. Hey, David. David said, is this a real Chevron bias buffer? Ooh, maybe, maybe that's been a ruse the entire time. Maybe it, he's never been buffering it ever. Uh, possibly. Mm -hmm. He says, so I woke up this morning at about 730 local time with a start. I thought to myself, they've already started recording and I forgot to send the, the promo for the next episode and my Chevron prediction email. No. Oh, I have not even finished editing the promo. In my groggy, half-awake state, I mentally went through the steps of getting up, mes messaging you to let you know it'll be on its way, and could you just record the promo a bit later? It was all in my head, uh. though. As it then occurred to me, it was only Friday. Problem avoided. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, poor David. Okay, anyway, smoke and mirrors. This is another good, let's save the budget and not leave the planet episode. 
<laughs> As I've said before, I like episodes that show the ramifications of what they've been doing and episodes with callbacks to older episodes. Mm-hmm. I like the world building it involves, and even in season six, it shows that there are still things to expand upon in the meta storyline. Then, throw in an evil conspiracy run by a shadowy organization. Oh, yeah. Give Senator <laughs> Kinsey a not entirely an, a, an evil jerk moment. Good stuff. There might be a few plot holes and yeah, but moments, but it's still a thumbs up emoji from me. Zach, six chevrons for the callbacks and for the future implications that this episode holds. Brent, also six chevrons for the continued world building and the oh moments. Uh, but I have to deal with the end. Can we not? Can, can they at least like... Maybe I'm up to here and I'm pointing above my head with incompetent, shadowy governmental organizations that actually don't have the best interests of people in mind. Maybe I'm just kind of up to here with that in general. And I don't need it in my science fiction. Uh, uh, well, I am excited that everyone is excited about this one. Like it's happened a few times where, uh, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, that bodes well. Like that tells me that I just missed something and that's okay. I don't have to be right all the time. Lord knows that would be terrible. But like, um, yeah, no, I mean, like I watched this one and I was like, eh, whatever. Uh, good to hear that that stuff that happened here is going to have waves in the future. That that's that's exciting. That's always that's always good information. So I I'm excited to hear that. It is a safe assumption, Brent, for this and moving forward. And and this has been true for a while that. More episodes than not of Stargate SG-1 have future ramifications. Yeah, but... In either big or small ways. Well, yeah, I hear you and I understand what you're saying, but Zach, you have a tendency to be able to see how the placement of somebody's war medals on a desk and that orientation pointing to that photo over there calls back to a future episode where that one character's sweater features prominently in frame while they are talking about a particular person whose name matches the bad guy in a future episode. No, that's not how I'm not saying that you're into the details, but like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) all right. Well, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad. I mean, it, this is good. This is good stuff. So, so Brent. Yes. Everybody seems to have loved this episode. Yeah. Except for you. Yeah. Everybody was living in this wonderful paradise when we all agree that this is a good episode. And then yeah. you come and lose <laughs> that paradise. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. I don't know. I'm just the next episode is called Paradise Lost, and I want to know, ask you what this episode is about. <laughs> hey, all right. Thanks for the softball. Here we go. Next time on Stargate SG One, the SG One team travels through the gate to find themselves in a strange world. Thank goodness, it's called Stargate SG One, not. Earth Politics, SG-1. As they travel through the gate to find themselves on a new world, they are immediately greeted by a throng of excited individuals that are coming up to them and saying, 
is this not the best? And they say, what are you talking about? And they, the throng comes back to them and they say, it's wonderful. We're going to have a murder mystery. And the SG-1 team are like, I hate murder mysteries. They're boring. Who done it? Who cares? The person is dead. And the other person just did it. And sooner or later, there's going to be something silly happening. Like the person is going to be eating tomato soup and they're going to go, oh, this looks exactly like the blood that I had on my hands after I killed so-and-so. Because that's how they go. And the people around him go, wow, man, that's incredibly specific. That's not what I had in mind at all. <laughs> wow. I don't know where I'm going on this rant. It doesn't matter because I feel like I was a party pooper. Join us next time where we get this thing back on track. And after we lose that paradise, we're going to go find it again because that's what we do. We solve problems on other planets. Join us next time on Stargate <laughs> SG-1 Paradise Lost. So. Uh-huh. Zach. Uh-huh. Are we going to go to a strange new world? Uh-huh. Oh, good. I like those. Are we going to are we going to have a bunch of people that uh really like something and that our heroes end up just trashing for no good reason? Uh-uh. No. Well, I guess you can't win them all, as I demonstrated earlier. Yeah. All right. Shall we watch the promo cuz that'll tell us what it's all about. Yes, let's watch the promotion promotion of video for Paradise the promotion and, uh, video. Yeah. All right. Yes, I'm ready to go. All right, I'm hitting play now. Next time on Stargate SG-1, Jack O'Neill gets an unexpected visitor. Uh, I hope what? Myself, I hope you don't mind. I heard about what happened with Prometheus. He intended to fly to a planet with a cache of advanced alien weaponry. What you don't know. The planet Simmons was intended to fly to as a stargate. The scroll contained instructions for them to use the stone to access the power of the gods. That information exists in one place. Right here. A deal's a deal. You want to go through the door? I'm going to be the one who opens it. Oh! It's all next time on Stargate SG-1. It's been almost a month, Chick. If there were a way back. Oh, no! Wait, what? Oh! Oh, no! Oh, oh no! Look at the little apocalypse now action there. Yeah. Oh. Nice. Okay, well, that's exciting. We got Mayborn back. Speaking of the NID, which everybody loves. Well, I don't love the NID. I think they're all pretty much big, fat jerks. Yeah, well, everybody seems to love the concept of big, fat jerks. Well, I just like the way that our heroes can interact with those big, fat jerks. They make for our a nice foil like... for our heroes. They, 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 they crumple like aluminum foil. Well, yeah, but when I was a kid, I used to take aluminum foil from my mom's kitchen and yeah. I would like turn it into helmets for my Legos and for my my GI Joe characters and and like like uh like like TI 1000 arms that had like <laughs> points and jabs and and things like that. So I played Ow. with aluminum foil. Mom didn't like it when I did that, but I did it anyway. Apparently, apparently SG1 likes to play with aluminum foil too. Huh. Ah. Well, all right, we'll try to get this. We'll try to get this train back on schedule. Okay, it'll be all right. So, thank you very much, David, for the promo. We yes, love them a lot, you. despite yes, some of the fantastic. comments 
on those promos on YouTube. I think you do an excellent job. Those people are just trolls. Wait a minute, we have trolls? Well, we have videos on YouTube. Of course we have trolls. Oh, that's funny. Oh my gosh. I gotta go onto YouTube and see some of these trolls. So I was reading one the other day and it's like, this guy's voice annoys me so bad, I'm gonna block this channel. And I'm like, okay. Okay. (laughs) I liked it, David. You do great work. Yeah, you do fine. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Wow, that guy sure told us, Zach. I know. We better shut oh, everything boy. down. All right, everybody. The whole thing. The whole podcast. We're shutting it down. Forget it. We're everybody done. We're go done, home. Folks. We're done. Random internet person told us that we do a bad job, so we got it. We got to stop. Sorry. <laughs> so, tell us what you think about these random internet guys who tell us that whatever we're doing. Uh, Oh How should God, we respond to this person think. who insists on blocking oh. us? Email us oh, at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at Stargate Walking and talk to us there or go mm-hmm. to Facebook and talk to us on the Facebook page and the Facebook group. Whatever, all of those things. Have a great day. And until next yeah. time, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Carter, Bye. dial it up. Get these people home.